You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. Well, good morning. Um, I love that line, bid me come and die and find that I may truly live. If you think about that line, it means that you have to die before you find life in Christ. So that means that the story of the gospel, that Jesus dying and being resurrected, it's, it can't just be a story. It can't just be a tale. It can't just be something we are entertained with on a Sunday. It has to have implications on our lives. Because Christ dying means we must die if we identify ourselves with Him. And the same goes with His resurrection. That when we die, we also may live in Christ. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome news. That we can die to our our old self, our nasty self. Our, our sinful nature, we can die to that. And we can be alive in Christ. And that has everyday implications. It has to affect the way we live. It can't be just something we're entertained with. It can't just be a story. It has to affect who we are as God's people. And this morning, we are here to celebrate that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That is huge. That is significant for us. That Christ is alive. We have a living God. Death could not hold Jesus. It's impossible. Death could not hold Jesus. Amen? That is hopelessness, is death, if that's the end. But we have hope in Christ because He is alive. And the fact that He sits at the right hand of the Father means He's interceding for us on behalf of us. We have access to be in a relationship with God. That's amazing. That is, that is wonderful news that should be on our lips daily. It should be on our hearts daily. It should be in our ears daily. Because it compels us to live for Christ. It compels us to live for righteousness, for His namesake, for His glory. But it looks different. It looks different than the world. It looks different than what our natural warnings are. It looks completely different. Our desires must be different than the world's. But it can't look different unless we have life in Christ. That's where it starts. It starts with believing and trusting what Christ 
will give you if you trust Him. And that is His righteousness. That is His life. That is eternal life. I promise you, this is truth. This is not false. This is real. God is here. He came here to earth to rescue you. He came here to earth to die for your nastiness. When we understand our sin and we understand our need for Christ, then what He did on the cross is absolutely necessary. And when the Spirit reveals that to our hearts and our eyes are open that we need a Savior, it changes who we are. We do not live with our sin nature, but we live by the Spirit of God. Because Christ left us with the comfort, the comforter of the Holy Spirit. He did not leave us alone, but He left us with the Spirit of God, and He dwells, he dwells within us. And So this morning we have something to celebrate about. We have something to celebrate about, and our celebration is that the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ causes us to live for Christ. That's what compels us, is the Gospel. We cannot live for Christ on our own. Not in our strength. We, it's not about just being good or doing the right things. It's about living for Christ, being compelled by Christ. So this morning, we're going to continue in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And uh, some of you are probably thinking, okay, we're going to talk about slaves and how masters should be respected and what does it have to do with the resurrection. It has everything to do with the resurrection. That's my point. That's what I'm trying to get at is that the resurrection has everyday implications for our lives. Even the way we suffer, that changes the way we live out tomorrow. And so, let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Peter writes, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So already you can see this is going to be kind of controversial. This doesn't look like earthly sense, right? He says, To those masters who treat you harsh, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to them. Verse 19, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive 
a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. That same word that was up there, commendable. It's commendable before God. To this you were called. That's the important part of this section. To this you were called. Why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you like sheep going astray, you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Scriptures. Thank You for Your Word. God, I ask that as we look into this letter, that You would teach us through Your Spirit. And that by Your Spirit and by Your Word, You would make us more like Jesus today, tomorrow, and until we leave this world. Make us more like Christ, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to masters, to your masters. Not only to those who are good to you, but also to those who are harsh. So, a lot of times we tend to think of slavery with the history of America. Just take it out. Just wipe it clean. Because it's not the exact same. Even though slavery is still wrong in that, in that day. You know, th- these people were owned. They had no freedom. They weren't independent people. They were owned by masters. And, and still, a lot of them were mistreated very badly. But just take out the American view of slavery and think of it as a way of, um, these were people who worked for masters. Um, a lot of them were very educated probably more educated than their masters, some of them. You know, they, they were doctors, they were people who, who were teachers, and they taught children, uh, even their masters, they would teach their masters. Uh, but Peter here is not trying to address the problem of slavery. He's not trying to, okay, we're going to end slavery. That's not, this isn't the part where he's trying to do that in his letter. What he's trying to do is say, okay, this is where God has you. You are a slave. This is how you act as a slave 
who has been bought with a price, the blood of Christ. This is how you act. And so what he says, in reverent fear of God, that's a, that's a key part of this. It's not in fear of the master. We have only one master. It's in reverent fear to him. It says, submit yourselves to your master. It means be obedient. Don't fight it. Be obedient to your master. Not only to those who are good, but also to those who are harsh. Okay, so Peter is asking these believers, even though their master is a jerk, even though their master may beat them, even though their master may say things that are degrading, still obey them. What? That does not make earthly sense at all. What we want to do is get them back. Revenge. Justice. Everybody here has a sense of justice within their bones. That's how God made us. We want justice. We want to see the right thing be done. We love the movies where the good guy wins in the end. It's just part of who we are. But Peter doesn't say retaliate. Peter doesn't say get back at him. Peter doesn't say, well, just get by, but, you know, later you'll get them back. Hate them. No. He says submit. Submit to them. So that doesn't make sense at all. But it does make sense in light of the way Jesus suffered. And so it He goes on to say, kind of adds a little note here. He says, for it's commendable if someone bears up under under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. So that's a good thing. If someone bears injustice because they, 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 they bear injustice well because of Jesus Christ, their conscience of who God is, and that's why they do it. But if you bear on, it's not necessarily injustice, when you get a beaten for doing wrong, well, don't be proud of that. Basically, we're saying if you're suffering because of something you did, don't, don't say, well, I'm suffering for the name of Christ. If, you, if you've done something sinful and it's causing you to suffer, well, don't be proud of that. But he says, but if you're suffering for doing good, That's commendable. That's pleasing to the eye of God. That's pleasing to the heart of God. Some of you are thinking, what do you mean suffer for Christ? This doesn't even apply to me. Has anybody ever done you wrong? In the workplace, a friend, wife, husband? Every single one of you probably thinking of that situation right now. Somebody has done you wrong. Somebody has treated you wrongly. Even probably you've done them right and they've treated you wrongly. You've done everything in your power to be a person of faith and love. And you're the best worker you can be. But they just treat you bad. 
our initial thought is repay. Get back. Revenge. They deserve something. Even if it's just in our heart. Even if we can't do anything about it. What is our heart saying? I wish they would. I wish they would experience just a little bit. That can't be our heart. That can't be what we desire. And here's why. Because Christ did not do that. He suffered well. Never sinned. Ever. Not, it says He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. Not one bad thing ever come from His lips. He never did anything sinful. Everything He said was truthful. Everything He did was by the will of God and for the glory of God. Perfect. And He was beaten, spit on, scorned, thorn of crowns. It just doesn't make sense for Him to deserve that. And that's because he didn't, he didn't deserve that. But how did he react to that? When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 21 says, To this you were called. To this you were called. Called to what? You were called to suffer for doing good for the name of Christ. That nobody wants to hear that. That's not the best sermon to preach. I know that. But to this you were called to suffer for doing good and endure it for the name of Christ. But this means we must look different than the world. If we look exactly the same as the world and there's nothing different about us, Where's the good? Where's the works? Where's the deeds? Why would you suffer for being just like the world? It's just not going to happen. But this, we were called. We were called to that. We are called to suffer for the name of Christ. And because we look different and we stand for truth and we stand for the things of God, we will suffer. It's inevitable. We will suffer for the name of Christ. It's all throughout 1 Peter. It's all throughout 2 Peter. They suffered for the name of Christ. And he's speaking here saying, suffer well. He's, he's encouraging them. Suffer well. Because of why? He says, because Christ suffered for you. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. There's two things there. This is why we suffer for the name of Christ. Because He suffered for us. 
we experience His grace and His salvation for us. It compels us because of what He did on the cross, because of what He did by being beaten. That compels us to suffer for the name of Christ well. But also because He left us an example. This this word example, it, it means like a tracing. You know how when you can have... You can trace over something. That's what He gave us a perfect picture. And we are supposed to trace over that with our lives. And so the reason we suffer is for Christ's name. And our purpose is for His glory. Verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live for righteousness. That's justification. That's Christ taking our sin on behalf of Himself. He imputed. It was, it was Him taking our sin. Start thinking about who you are. It's good to do this. Lust. Anger. Lies. You can think of them all. He took that for you. When you truly understand who you are, this verse, it causes us to die to our sins. The cross causes us to die to sins, but we don't just stay dead to our sins, but now we live differently. It says we die to sin and live for righteousness. So Christ took our sins, and now He gives us righteousness. And now we can live in righteousness. If that's not you, you need to put your faith in what Jesus did. You need to trust His work of salvation for you. If if you're a believer and you're struggling with sin, you've died to sin. You are dead to your sin. And because of the resurrection of Christ, you were alive in Christ. If you have identified yourself with Christ, your identity is found in Him, you no longer are dead in your sin. You've died to that. You are now alive in Christ Jesus, because of His resurrection, because He is alive. And if we trust that, if we believe that, we no longer can live, walk in sin. For when sin creeps in, we are perplexed, we are destroyed, we are sick to our stomachs. Because we understand the cost. We understand the price. We understand what Jesus did and what we have in Him. 
So if you're struggling with sin as a believer, you're dead to it. It is no longer your master. I say that in confidence. It is no longer your master. You are no longer in chains to that. Christ died for that. He died for you. He also rose from the grave. And those two truths, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, it will cause us to die to sin and live for righteousness. So when we suffer, what if we're struggling with suffering unjustly? How do we suffer well when we just did good? We didn't even do anything wrong. You're treating me wrongly. And all I did was treat you with love and respect. We take the road of Jesus. It says instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see, even Christ, he trusted the Father. He entrusted himself. He is the one who would judge. Let him be judge. Don't take upon yourself. We're not, we're not a good judge. Because we're not holy like God. Let him be sovereign. Because he is. You just have to trust his sovereignty. That will help us suffer better. That will help us suffer well because when we entrust ourselves to God, He is the righteous judge. He judges well. Then it's not on us. It's not in our power. We're not sovereign. We're not over that. It's not us. We're trusting God to do that. Then He starts talking about Isaiah 53. says that we may live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. That comes straight from Isaiah chapter 53. And he even goes on a little further talking about Isaiah 53. Verse 25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. We all have strayed from God. Every single one of us. No one in here has never lived a perfect life and never strayed from God. No one. Only Christ. He said, for you were like sheep going astray, but now, now, you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Jesus is our good shepherd. And He will lead us well. He will lead us perfectly. The sheep will know the shepherd's voice. And we must follow Him. Fully submissive to where He calls us. And it may be, it will be, suffering for doing good. It will be that. Because he says, to this you were called. 
because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. As we think about the death and resurrection of Christ, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and we're going to worship. This, it, this is a picture of His body beaten and battered for us. This is a picture of His blood shed for us. One day, we will eat and drink this meal with Jesus. Hopefully a little bit better, but it will be. Jesus will be there. But we will one day be with Jesus because of the resurrection, because He is alive. He will come back a second time. And we will be with Him, enjoying His goodness and His grace, fully, without any sin. It's also a picture of the fact that we need bread. We need food. We need drink. That's a picture of Christ. We need Christ every moment, every day. It's how we, it's how we function. It's how we live. He is our life. He is the source of life. So as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, let's worship, let's pray. As a family, we, we can pray up here. We can use the altar. Pray with your family. Teach them about the Lord's Supper. Teach them about Christ and what it is to take the Lord's Supper together and worship together. We're going to sing. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to pray. We're going to worship this morning. So as the band comes up, I'm going to pray. Right after I pray, come and take the Lord's Supper. Take it with your families. Let's pray to